0: I love that it sounds funny because it kind of is funny. I was reflecting on it recently. It's like, how do I make all this money and live this life that's so awesome? What really changes a person is a deep understanding. The highest leverage point in creation is is the human being. When it boils down to it, I'm a coach uh, in the same way an athlete might have a coach. I'm a coach for a person in their life, in their work, in their relationships, and I help them make everything better.
1: Hello, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there. That is JP Morgan from JP Morgan Creating. He is what one might call a life coach, a business coach, a coach of relationships, a coach of whatever you need help with, he will be there for you. And he's somebody I was introduced to recently from a good friend, and actually I'm in the market for a coach who is very serendipitous that he's kind of come into my life and nice enough to at least spend an hour with us here today kind of describing what he does and and what he really believes in and how he stays focused on what he's trying to cultivate within himself and with others. So I really think this episode is is very helpful to those who are out there like ready to take that step, ready to really push themselves into a realm in which they might not be comfortable with. You know, he talks a lot about the commitment to your path, to your being, to what you want out of life, and in that commitment, you can really cultivate who you want to be. And and get to where you want to go and achieve the things that you want to achieve. So I really want to thank you for joining us for this episode. I hope you like it. Please remember that you can subscribe on iTunes. So please pick out your phone and subscribe. Commenting really helps as well. Any comments you leave on any of your podcast players really help me out on Misfits and Rejects and, and gain, helps gain a lot of attention. And also you can subscribe, or not subscribe, sorry, but you can support Misfits and Rejects on Patreon. Patreon is a platform for people, fans who like Misfits and Rejects to give a monthly donation. All is appreciated and nothing is expected. So please sit back, relax, and join me for this awesome episode with J.P. Morgan. A lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I am joined by J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan has no affiliation, I believe, with the J.P. Morgan, but a wonderful name nonetheless, and a really cool creator of content on YouTube, and somebody who really inspires and pushes people to reach their optimal level in life and business, love, and very Different sorts of things that I think sometimes they probably call you about JP. So with that said, JP, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. Glad to be here. I am affiliated with the JP Morgan, as in, I am the JP Morgan. <laughs> That's true, uh, but, That's but true. not I, with the bank. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah,
1: I didn't mean to imply that you weren't a very special human being because all of the misfits <laughs> and rejects <Catholics laughs> who come on the show are beautiful people. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, JP is is that is that what you've gone by your whole life?
0: Um, no. I haven't, actually. Um, I had, as a nickname for some family members when I was younger, my middle name is Patrick. Um, but I noticed early on in my business that the name John Morgan is so common that it kind of gets forgotten easily. So I started throwing the P in there, John P. Morgan, just to have it stick a bit more. Um, but then I just uh, I just read about J.P. Morgan, the banker, who I'm not related to or don't descend from. But um, And I was actually really inspired. Interestingly enough, banking at that time the people, the bankers were considered like the pinnacle of integrity in society. J.P. Morgan was known for saying character is credit. Um, your word is bond. He did deals with his eye contact and a handshake. And that kind of character and integrity is really kind of central to, to me and my work. So I was inspired by it. and It felt like it was going to stick better for business. So probably uh, just since I started my business, really, I've been going by J.P.
1: Oh That's a cool story. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, your YouTube videos also kind of bring that across, that, um, that power Um, that sort of confidence that the name sort of represents as well and so you wear it well well done dude cool thank you man thank you um can you describe to the audience i mean what your job title is how would you describe what you do because just so the audience knows jp yeah i got connected through a mutual friend i was i'm actually in the market for um a lifestyle coach a business coach many different Mm. names for this type of thing and So JP and I kind of got a conversation going and just, I mean, I connect instantly with the kind of things that you were saying. And so can you describe to the audience what you do for a living and and how you make your money?
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. I love that it sounds funny because it kind of is funny. I was reflecting on it recently. It's like, how do I make all this money and live this life that's so awesome? It's like sometimes I forget because I'm living in it that it's not very common. First of all, it's not even common to, to be like kind of self employed and or an entrepreneur, but that's always been my life. So I've always see the world through that lens. But but now, like literally, I wake up every day excited for my work. Um, and my work is essentially being in conversation with people. My favorite thing to do is to be in conversation, and not just to chat, but to create, create insight, to create perspective, create change in a human being, how they see the world, how they experience the world. And and because when I change that with them then it changes everything in their life. And so I've always loved creating stuff from little kid up through m- multiple businesses that I've created. Um, and so the highest leverage point in creation is, is the human being. So if you're running a company, it's like the owner of the company, and inside their mind is the highest leverage point to create through that company. And so um, typically I have conversations with entrepreneurs, but oftentimes also um, I have other coaches that, uh, that are do similar work to me that I mentor. And I have uh, like artists and musicians, anybody who I kind of call a creator, somebody who's waking up in the morning and the world is their oyster, life is a blank canvas, and they approach it like they can generate anything that they want to generate. And so the conversations, what they look like is really me just asking them what's going on in their world, what the challenges they're facing, what they want to create, then helping them see how they are the path and the obstacle, like whatever's in their way, it's actually inside them um, and how they can change that. Uh, and so yeah, I mean, throughout the conversation today, as we speak, that will just be occurring because it's naturally what I do. But um when it boiled down to it, I'm a coach. Uh, in the same way an athlete might have a coach. I'm a coach for a person in their life, in their work, in their relationships, and I help them make everything better by 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 changing how they see themselves and how they see the world.
1: Yeah, I think that that really comes across when you're when your YouTube uh, with the YouTube videos that you have created, um, and your skill set is unique in the fact that, you you draw things out just in those videos that i think everybody can relate to i know i did Mm. you know the cognitive dissonance one i have a psych background i love that word Mm -hmm. i think cognitive dissonance Mm. is a tremendously powerful tool in life comedy however you want to use it and and Mm. internalize it and it definitely comes across in your youtube videos and the types of people who contact you for this type of help where are they in life that they feel it's time to reach out and get some assistance
0: Mm, good question. Um, they, are, they have already p- embarked on a path of creating something entrepreneurial in some sense, um, and maybe they are at the beginning of that journey and feeling like uh, at a loss for how to fit everything into the day. Like, there's so much stuff to get done. They're stressed out. Maybe they're feeling scarcity financially, um, but they also have in their heart they know they can make it work. Um, or maybe they've been in business for a long time, 10, 15 years, 20 years running a company um burnt out working loads not really having the fulfillment that they want they thought what is ended it was what that would come with the money and the success but um and they want some deeper um quality of success not just the quantity of success they want to enjoy their life more spend time with their family improve their relationships um but not by giving up and quitting and walking away from the, what they're creating so age ranges probably late 20s to like maybe even early 50s clients pretty big range men and women both but um yeah, that's what they're usually facing, one of those two things. Uh, they, but, but that's the kind of more of the, the external. Let me just say that the, the through line for everybody uh, is an internal thing. And the internal thing is they have a deep sense within them that they are capable of creating more in the world uh, in all sorts of forms, whether it's some kind of business, legacy, money, whatever, better relationships. And they have a deep sense that they could have more fulfillment in the moment-by-moment moment experience of life that they're going through right now, more peace, more ease. Um, so produce more and have more peace. They have a sense that that's possible, and so we end up in conversation because they f- usually find my content. I've listened to a podcast interview like this, and, um, yeah, and it kind of goes on from there.
1: Yeah, I can really relate to that, I think, throughout. I mean, hence the reason I've been looking for a coach myself, that I've always had this sort of, I call it my glass ceiling you know, I, I, I have confidence in myself. I know I can create more, do more, grow more, be a better person, achieve more. And then I get mm. to that certain point in life and I feel like I'm pushing up against this glass ceiling, which I can see the end goal. But through whatever self-defeating stories or whatever it may be, um, it's hard to push through to that next yeah. level, like super hard. And I find it's always at that, that the same point in which I reach it. Um do you a- if- Go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, I was going to say, I don't know if – I've never thought about this before. I don't know if this is why this, they call it a glass ceiling, but I just realized because I was thinking about what, why people get stuck in that place just like I do is it's because you're stuck against the ceiling, but you can't see it. You can feel the ceiling, but you can't see it. And it's just – maybe that's why they call it a glass ceiling, but I just realized how perfect that is. And that's why I, I've had my own coaches and I will always have my own coaches. I'll have people in my life who can see the glass that I'm pressing up against but can't see. And they can point it to me, and it's as soon as like you can move, just like with a piece of glass. If you're if you're col- totally perpendicular to it and it's perfectly clean and clear, you can't see it. But if you can move your position, because somebody takes you by the hand and they brings you to the side, all of a sudden you can see the glare. Of the glass comes into view, and you're like, oh shit, that there was a piece of glass there. Um, and so that really kind of that, that's the primary reason I hire coaches is because I know that it's just a function of being human that we can't see the glass we're pressing against. And we need we need other people, uh, another person uh, to show it to us.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, before we get into the mentors that you've hired for yourself, because we talked a little mm. bit about that, and I think that was a really interesting, relevant story. What I mean, do you have a psychology background? Like, what makes you like? Um...
0: Say it, say it. I know what you want to say. Do
1: it. <laughs> I'm I actually <laughs> lost lost the the word that I wanted to use. Yeah, what. Okay. What, what makes you hire? Like, what's your credentials? I guess. Yeah. Credentials. Yeah. That's, that's no. What, that's
0: the word. That's the word. What's your credibility? What's right. your What's your, What makes you qualified?
1: Qualified. So. There it is.
0: Yeah. So I'm not qualified. Okay. Perfect. I'm not qualified because I don't really. But I don't. This is my whole thing. This is my whole attitude. I don't buy into um, there being a such thing as qualification um, as uh, as a as a prerequisite for action and for and producing results. Um, Qualifications really about like um some external measure that says that people can trust you and i don't ask anybody to trust me i i go first and so qualifications like i'm not willing to show you that i can help you you just look at this evidence over here because this organization says that i can help you and you trust me and pay me and then i'll help you it's like well it's not the way i run my business i spend a little bit of time with a shitload of people for free and i just give and i serve and i help and and through that they experience the work that I do, and then all of a sudden I'm qualified not because some certificate or some course says I was, but because because they can feel it. And if they don't feel it, then I'm not qualified. But let that, let that be the determining factor. You can feel my energy around this, but um, but but let's still look at your question, behind your question, because you're not really asking on that level. I don't think. I think you're asking like, how did you learn this stuff? You know?
1: Yeah. yeah, um, yeah more of that. So for sure.
0: Yeah. So, but just wanted to just catch that first piece too. But, but, the, like, the, how did you learn this stuff? I think is a fun question to explore. Like, I've been a kind of interested in lots of things my whole life, but my academic background was in physics and mathematics. But I remember sitting in physics class, whether it was electricity, magnetism, thermodynamics, quantum mechanics, and, and paying attention and trying to figure out what the hell the professor was talking about. And at the same time, Applying everything as a metaphor to human relationships and to the way the mind works and our psychology. So I wasn't studying psychology. I mean, I took, you know, undergrad 100 level courses as like, but I I wasn't really properly studying it. Um, But I was always interested in pop psychology and um, reading books on my own and, and looking at and thinking about it in a very systems way. And that's just carried on throughout my life. I'm 39, turning 40 this year. But you know, since college, I've been reading and studying different things. I'm, I kind of dawned on the rabbit hole a bit of Jungian psychology um, and lots of newer kind of positive psychology things. You, we talked about cognitive science before the call today. Um, interested in all of that stuff. And so that's kind of one facet. I have a very kind of left-brain approach and interest in the way the mind works. Um, and at the same time, I've also gone on a spiritual journey since my mid-20s um spent a few few years living nomadically and traveling and going on a bit of a spiritual journey and i found myself studying a lot of eastern philosophies and um you know applying that to life and in and being pragmatic with philosophy not just using it to conceptualize and pontificate but to like okay well if this were the case what would i do differently today um that kind of attitude so i think that's you know so it's kind of a merging of the right brain, left brain um, has kind of been my orientation. And so um, that's from the kind of knowledge angle. And then experientially, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a teenager. So I've built a number of businesses. Um, and when you're living nomadically out of a backpack and building businesses like and blogging, and people inevitably are going to start asking you for help. And so for years, I was kind of informally mentoring people. Um, and that just evolved uh, into the coaching. I'm pausing because there's another whole branch that I didn't even mention yet. I had a um, kind of a hobbyist interest, serious hobbyist, maybe verging on professional interest in performance magic. So a kind of um, early 2000s, I got into David Blaine's stuff and I started learning card magic. And then when I was traveling and got to the UK, I learned about a guy named Darren Brown, who's a, psych- who's a psychological um, magician. They call him a mentalist. And I started studying all that stuff and performing uh, out in the streets and at some like you know small parties or restaurants and things. And I was really fascinated with the mind and magic and how, how I communicated with people, created an experience of magic inside them. It wasn't really what I was doing with the cards or whatever. It was the communication created a reality inside their mind that gave them an experience of magic. And that's where I started to realize, wow, this is just like, this is all psychology, this is personal growth. And so kind of the informal mentoring I was doing – kind of started to entangle with this interest in psychological magic and uh, that's when I started to coach professionally. That was just over nine years ago.
1: Well, who was your first client like your first official client as you embarked on that coaching mm. aspect of your life? Good question. Wow his name is I'll just say his name was Steve okay.
0: um, and he was close to 50 an accountant and he'd never been with a woman in his life. Never kissed a woman, never been on a date. Um, and he came along to one of these workshops I was doing. I was doing workshops every week in a pub in London, just like dating workshops for single guys. And he came along, and I don't know. I just felt for the guy. and and I just he said to you to me, can you help me?" And I said, I said, if you work with me, I will help you." And the confidence just came from somewhere deep, like beyond like, my, oh, I should say this or whatever. It was just like, I think my compassion and my empathy just had me feel committed to helping him, whatever it was going to take. Um, and so I think he felt that. And i never thought about this before right now, actually about like, he was my first client and the reason he signed up is probably because I dug so deep and I got really honest with him and I was really committed from my heart. And, you know, I think that that's a huge part of my business and what creates success. And so Um, anyway, I worked with the guy for just like three or six months. I can't remember exactly, but it was life changing. I mean, I mean, I went over to his apartment in his house and like just helped him see everything that he was creating in his world that was keeping all of the stuff with women that he wanted out and it was blowing his mind and like, he's like a different person. I haven't seen him in some years now, but a couple of years later, I mean, he's like been on dates, been with women, um, got is like, got LASIK, had the, you know, got a haircut, got like, you know, he just looks like a different person. He's like full of life. So, um, it'd be great to catch, to reach out and find out how he's doing now. it has been probably eight years or so,
1: but yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's one thing to point out the, the things that people create that prevent them from achieving what they want out of life. But it's another thing to actually get them to implement the strategies that you're teaching. So, mm-hmm. how how do you motivate like that individual who's obviously terrified to approach a yeah. woman and get him then yeah. to become comfortable that he can approach, have a conversation, and then you know take it from there?
0: Yeah. So I don't really focus too much on motivation because I think that we are naturally motivated to to do and have those things which we desire. But what gets in the way are ideas about things that create fear. And so it's you know in the end the results the same but I focus more on removing the fears that are between people. Um, you know there's the whole I call a black path and white path. Black path being feel the fear and do it anyway, get lots of motivation and courage, you know force through it. And white path is kind of see that the idea that undermines or sorry, the idea that um, that generates the fear is an illusion, and you can actually when you can see that illusion is an illusion, then. The fear kind of dissolves, and then and sometimes I, I, you know, just push through things. It's good to just have that too. But I tend to be a little bit more white path when I'm, um, I'm working with people. So for him, it's really, and for a lot of the clients, I'm really like, what, what is the path to having what you want that feels free and easy, and and just coming from a place where there's believing that that path is always possible, is actually what's most instrumental in generating that insight that can show that path. So. Um, it's like really looking for different perspectives. One of the big themes in that work. So, like my early coaching days when I was first getting started, my focus of, was a niche of, of dating, and so I was working both men, men and women in the UK. But um, with men, in particular, when it comes to human connection, relationship—not just with women, but all people—the um, thing that got in the way or gets in the way is like an un- our subconscious orientation of trying to acquire something, be it. A client, money, um, sleeping with a woman, her approval, then people just liking you, people thinking you're powerful or good enough, whatever. Just so, there's something that you want from them, and that and that that wanting that is what creates the context for the fear. The fear that I can't get it or I won't get it um, arises from the desire to have it. And so when you can get somebody, first of all, to see that deep down, subconsciously, they're trying to get something from somebody. And then you can help them to see how they can make a choice to only give and to only serve and to only help. And so, with guys in dating, it was like, well, what if, like, just for a day, you decided that all you were going to do is make women feel good and you didn't care what you got? That just like, that totally rocks guys' worlds. Like, when they can just go out in the world and just make women smile, make them feel beautiful, and know that at the end of the day, they're going home with nothing and that's perfectly fine. Um, it creates a whole different context. And the fears of not being able to get, the things that you were afraid of before just goes away because it's just not relevant anymore. I did a TED Talk on this like probably six or seven years ago about this idea of um, giving instead of taking on a subconscious level and how it kind of creates a context for, well, peace or fear.
1: No, that's tremendously powerful stuff, and I can really relate to that in my own personal life of, you know, the fear of approaching a beautiful woman that I desperately want to talk to. Or... Like approaching talking having a great time but then having my buddy take her home or something like that. yeah <laughs> like yeah. where did i go wrong in that one because i was genuinely mm-hmm. open and kind to the whole and open to the situation but um
0: if only openness and kindness were enough
1: right right yeah. um we're just a side note were you i mean did you study that whole like uh um, pickup artist community like uh, neil strauss and mystery and that? i
0: wouldn't say game. i studied it I, I dipped into it but um my story wasn't the story of most of those guys in the books. I, you know, connecting with women just happened to be one of my primary orientations as a kid, and so it was kind of it just came to me naturally, maybe. Um, and uh, there, natural. was an there was an affluence. Yeah, okay. If that's the language, there was an affluence for me in that domain. Um, uh, but so, but a lot of my friends that were into magic, funnily enough, that wasn't the case, and so. I, I, I learned about those books. i said read some of them, but none of it really sat with me. I was like, "This, I get how this could work, but there's there's something else here." And so, when I started doing the workshops, I just put up the primary questions that people were asking, and guys would come out, and and their first thing they would always say is like, "This is so different than pickup," and this is so different than pickup, and like, and you know, when I started my business with my wife, we had a business called The Magnetic Man. Um, and our orientation was to be the antithesis of the pickup artist community, to serve the same problems but with a completely different answer. And our tagline was attract women through greatness, and our focus was on helping guys to see that if they can locate the greatness that's in them and they can come from a place of just giving and just serving women, and everything they want will come to them, but they have to move more of a a linear to a nonlinear way of of generating results in their life. And so for the guys that were able to, you know, to hold that concept in their mind and to be committed to that transformation, their whole world's got rocked and, you know, um, but not all the guys were ready for that. And so the, I think the pickup ours community serves people that are in a certain place. And, um, we were just serving guys in a different place maybe.
1: Yeah. Do you think that when you do approach, um, from that angle of not an angle, it sounds so shady, but like when you do approach from that, just giving, I'm only giving and being kind, you attract a certain type of person, be it male or female who just wants to use and take advantage of you.
0: Um, well, no, you can't take advantage of somebody who's giving. Um, that's like a bit of a paradox, but it's not really possible if somebody's purely giving. I mean, I have this I did this example of a client years ago. She always reminds me about it. I was holding a tomato, and I said, try to take this from me. And every time she went to take it, I would just open my hand and move it forward. It's like the higher over always beats the lower. And so it's just, it's just not – first of all, it's just not possible. Um, and so if that were experience somebody were having, I would challenge the giver supposed quote-unquote giver, as to where their purity and their giving is. That's the first thing. The second thing is is that when people think of giving, they think of you're being kind and you're just like opening the door for people. But actually, um, one of the things, the gifts of giving that we used to say in the Magnetic Command, well, I haven't talked about this stuff in so long, but it's all coming back to me now. Mm-hmm. Um, the greatest gift you can give a woman is is the expression of your desire for her. So your genuine, authentic, raw desire is a gift. And so telling a woman you want her is a gift, asking can be a gift if the asking comes from a place of an expression of desire and not a neediness or permission seeking and so we use the word giving but it's really a deep orientation it's a non-attachment it's not saying that i'm only going to do kind things and i'm not going to ask for what i want like we used to, when i used to work with women i would ask them like if a guy you know imagine like an rpm gauge and the zero the zero is the guy has no interest in you and then like 10 is like, you know, this is like overheating. The guy's needing, he can't survive without you. He has to have you, he needs you. And then like, and I would move my arm from zero to 10. And I would ask them to tell me where, where they are most attracted to the guy. And so at zero, no interest, not really, maybe a little bit at 10, it's like, oh my God, get away. But somewhere around like six, they were like super turned on by the idea that the guy was attracted to them and had desire for them. And so desire is is attractive? Need is ugly, um, and so it's this kind of sweet spot between like disinterest and need that um you need to be able to find. And uh yeah, wow, I don't know how dude, I got there, but yeah, my mind
1: right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Cool, very articulate, dude. Where did you first start on your spiritual path? Like, what was that driving force to really? I know you, you talked about having yeah. interest. You have a background in physics and mathematics, so you're obviously seeking something in number wise, to understand the universe.
0: Truth. Yeah.
1: Where did, where did your first like big push come to like get out in the world and and find what you were looking for or what were you looking for?
0: First of all, I just want to say thank you. You just said something that gave me the chills. Um, The way that you just linked in science for me as a search for truth in your question of spirituality, that just served me because I've been presently kind of really looking to integrate my orientation with science, with my, like, also orientation towards spirituality and magic. But I never saw, until you just said that, that my interest in science was coming from actually the same exact place. So that was really beautiful. Thank you for saying that. Um, And so I would say that that's probably where, one of the places we could say it began. But let me um, also point out that I was raised Catholic, and as soon as I could stop going to church, because I was old enough, I did. um, Pretty staunch atheist through um, college until... I had some friends that kind of got me into like these born-again Christian books and evangelical stuff. And I had like a brief stint and like, oh my God, save like I'm saved by Christ. So that was like six months and then I was like, Oh wait, no, I'm atheist again. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's crazy how much those stories wrapped my like uh, wrap my head around that stuff for a while. But um and so I, during that time though I read the Bible, I took a Bible study class and the thing that stayed with me, even though I walked away from the dogma, is the Christ teachings. And, you know, I never took anything from them as a kid, but in that kind of half a year or a year of studying the Bible, um, literally like looking at like biblical scripture, I was like, wow, this is this is pretty cool, like, a cool way of living. Like Christ knew something knew, some, knew something pretty cool. Um but anyway, I moved away from the dogma. And then I five years later maybe I was traveling the world and I was sitting in a um, hostel in Singapore or I walked into a hostel room in Singapore and there was a guy sitting on the bed with his eyes closed and he's just sitting there still. And I never really even met somebody that meditated before, but that's what he was doing. And when he finished, we started having a chat and we hung out for a few days. His name was Steve Rokosh, um, And uh, he introduced me to Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. This in 2006. And um, that kind of started my journey, The Power of Now. And from that, it kind of took me down the rabbit hole of Eastern philosophy and the present moment and meditation. I did a 10-day Vipassana retreat and uh, meditation retreat in India. Um, I've been studying Taoism for a while. And more recently, um, I've been starting to study Christian existentialism, which is, um, there's books like A Course in Miracles and The Way of Mastery, and these are texts that reinterpret biblical scripture as a psychological developmental uh, map. And basically, Christ is a metaphor for a thing called Christ consciousness. Maybe he lived, maybe he didn't, but this doesn't really matter. Christ is an idea; it's a way of being um, that is really kind of loving and powerful. Through that love and love and power are just like two primary drivers for me. And so I'm finding a lot of um, wisdom in these texts, and it really matches really well with Eastern philosophy. So um, yeah, that's been that's kind of a brief summary of my journey spiritually.
1: No, yeah, I was profoundly changed by ecart's books as well i continue mm. to read them over and over i do the power of now i do a page or two a night and then i get through mm. that and now I, a new earth and i'm on like i think i've read each one five times i just keep going amazing i love it cool and i'm always yeah. just like every cell lights up when when i when i hit a paragraph and it's always so relevant to where mm. I'm at in some way and it's always somehow new it feels new every mm. time i read it even though i've read it five mm. times it's just so beautiful i love
0: that I love that you're doing that. That's a huge principle in my work. Um, I don't know if you've – I have an audio I can share with you around uh, that talked about self-cultivation, which is my practice of cultivating myself. But one of the most important principles in there is um, a practice of rereading things and like coming at – because I spent a lot of the years – just like more and more and more, more stuff, more stuff, new, new, new. And, um, and I was in an accelerated learning course during this time, actually. And the, and the guy teaching the course, it was a speed reading focus. And he shared a distinction versus learning versus understanding. And he said, learning is based on difference and understanding is based on sameness. And I was like, Whoa, that just blows my mind. But as I've looked at it over the years, like, geez, I've spent most of my time trying to learn, 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 learn. And it's always new, 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 what's different, different, different. And that's great. But what really changes a person is a deep understanding and understanding comes through revisiting the same thing over and over again. um, And seeing, like you said, you'll see new and different things in it, but it's, it's, it's new and different ways of, of, of of the same thing. So there's, it's deepening your ability to see that and to understand it. So I would imagine your understanding of the power of now and a new earth as, is a lot more than somebody or anybody who's read it once or twice.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really brought out, the unconsciousness within myself and, and go and you actually touched upon that i think in one in your dissonance video or something like that where you're like talking about how i guarantee that most you don't realize even when you do bring that thought of like focus and consciousness into that into that moment that you know 99 of the rest of your day is spent unconscious and i remember when i first read that book and i started trying every single day to bring consciousness into the moment that mm. i could only do it like two or three times a day like that's how Mm-hmm. How crazy addicted I was to thinking and mm. I've always said like it, it I've got to the point where it's like I have to check myself like a thousand times a day but I think the reality is like maybe 50 like I've gotten to the point where I'm now more conscious and I can check myself be like whoa that you just you know went into a whole nother realm storytelling movie mm-hmm. making like whatever it may yeah. be let's bring it back but it's a really uh difficult uh process of just being the watcher you know, the observer mm. and and accepting that this is probably something I'll have to do the rest of my life,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, man. It's like it's the, it's the most important skill and um, and there's always't there's no work, there's no like end doesn't matter. You can get really great at it, but there's still always going to be more. because not only can you become aware of the present moment, but there's like there's a depth of that awareness, too, right? So it's like you can actually be more aware of the present moment. That's just not like a, it's not binary. And so I love, I love that you can see that it's about just being on that journey forever. I
1: completely agree and relate. Kim, let's, let's relate that a little bit to your Vipassana experience because, I mean, that is basically the training of the mind in a very intense, what, 10, 12-day experience of silence? Yeah, um, yeah that's right. I've talked to a few people on the show who've done this before and very articulate in and, and what they experienced and what they got out of it. Do you mind taking Mm. us through your experience and then what you got out of it?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was 2006. It's been a while, but there's some things that I remember in particular. Um, The first thing I I remember is that um, the silence becomes really impactful after a few days. Um, But the combination of not talking um, and other people around you not talking, so you're not hearing conversation and meditating, has the chatter in the mind slowly turned down. It's kind of like, we don't realize how much of the internal chatter is kind of sustained by external chatter. And it's like, after a while of not hearing a voice, your mind kind of just goes quiet. And so that place you're trying to get to, uh, not you in particular, just like we are trying to get to um, in a meditation practice, in a, in a silent retreat, it just kind of becomes the place you're kind of hanging out most of the time. Um, so that was profound. and. And then the second thing I would say is is from that experience and plus through the meditation itself, um, it creates a a new baseline for for me a reference experience, a baseline of what's possible um, inside you know what 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 the experience of the mind can be um, you know being thrust back into daily life with lots of people having conversations all around you and lots of things stimulating you and challenging you um, you know the mind starts to rev up again and so. When I sit in my meditation nowadays, you know, I always remember that time in the retreat. Not thinking about it as a memory necessarily, but I have in me um, a knowing about where I can go with my mind. I know what it's how quiet it can be. I know how peaceful it can be. I know how still it can get. Um, And so I think that's that's why I would recommend those kinds of retreats to everybody and anybody. It's profound, you know, even if you just do it once in your life. It gives you a, a, a something to aim for in your daily practice, in your daily life. Um, and then also, you know, you can do smaller versions of that on your own once you've done it. Like, I've gone and hired an Airbnb out in the desert for like four or five days and just gone out and did sat by myself with nothing and just did my own little silent retreat. Um, and in the mornings, I'll, you know, ring fence an hour of time and space where I can be alone in my own little retreat in the morning before the day begins. And so, um, a Big version of that helps you to kind of create the smaller versions as well. Um, so, do you meditate every day? I do, yeah. Well, you know, to have days that I miss it or whatever of traveling right now, but that's for the most part. Every morning I spend time in, in what I call self cultivation, and meditation is the foundation of that.
1: Mm-hmm. You were, when we talked uh, prior to the call, a few calls ago, actually, you had talked about being a digital nomad mm-hmm. and creating businesses mm-hmm. when you're on the road. Well, what mm-hmm. were those businesses?
0: So uh, web media, basically, I had a, uh, a, when I started traveling, I had just kind of cashed out from the real estate industry. And um, I knew how to write code because I studied computational physics at university. And so um, I had some, been making some websites for bands and stuff that I was in. And then I had some friends that wanted to leave their job as graphic designers and start a business. And so they started getting these little design jobs outside of their, you know, their proper job. And um, I started just building websites for them and we did stuff for free for a while we were just working for charities and then within a year it went from like free projects to doing like this huge six figure project for this global charity and um, so I was kind of I built up a web development company as a subsidiary of the web media company that I created with my partners and so I went from coding myself and read Tim Ferriss's for our work week when it came out and and I started hiring developers in India and Ukraine and South America. And um, uh, yeah, sk- we scaled the business pretty rapidly. And where I was making great money. I was making like six figures and living out of a backpack, working like 10, 20 hours a week. I had this little tiny Sony laptop that I was just managing the developers on. And uh, sometimes from a hostel in Bangkok or you know, a cafe in Paris. Or And there was a time where I was cycling, going cycle touring and had the you know had the laptop in my backpack. And it, you know... I'll try and steal Wi-Fi from somebody's house or something like that to get work done. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, was a lot of fun.
1: That's cool, man. I think, you know, I'm striving to get there myself. I create a few online businesses and so, I mean, that's also why I do the podcast, just keeping myself inspired by stories like yours. Um, mm. you know, we talked also previously about you hiring your first mentor and the cost of that, which is staggering to me. Mm. Um, what, can we talk about both of those things? Can we talk about first, sure. one, what was the reason you chose to hire a mentor? And two, what was the reason you chose such a premium to hire a mentor for?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I've hired a number of coaches um, and mentors since I started. Um, I've had mentors since, um, I guess I've had mentors my whole life. When I think back to when I was a kid, was, like my martial arts teachers, they were like kind of in hindsight, they were mentors. Um, when I was gotten to the real estate out of college uh you know i had a an older guy who was a mentor who mentored me um but when i got into, so so when i got into coaching the first thing in my mind was like if i'm gonna be a coach i better hire a coach and if i'm gonna hire a coach i better i'd like to hire the best coach in the world because i want if i'm gonna do this i want to be great so um i was like oh who's the best coach in the world that oh, must be tony robbins he's on tv he, he makes a lot of money but oh he's cost a million dollars i don't have that so then I figured out that his son was a coach. So I was like, hmm, he must know some things from his dad. So I hired Jarek Robbins as my first coach. Um, I didn't even talk to him when I hired him. I just like talked to a sales guy and hired him. And that was my first experience. And uh, Jarek was great, great guy. And um, we had some fun together. And from there, I just uh, kind of followed the same way I've done everything. It's like, where is my heart leading? What seems like it would make sense? What's going to give me more leverage? And going and then hiring a coach and working with them until it felt like I was done and going on to the next one, and now I can. See, that was the orientation then. Now, in hindsight, I can see the word coach and mentor um, have come together for me because now when I'm hiring a coach, I'm hiring a mentor, um, and and for me that the distinction is a coach is somebody who has tools and skills that can help you see yourself, and and that's like primary thing for me too. But when I think of a mentor, I'm also hiring a coach. Who embodies a way of being and a way of living that is um, something that I want, and so I hire people who I see who I admire because I know that that admiration is projection of my own desire and capacity. So the coach that I have now, Steve Hardison, is um, a man who is arguably one of the best coaches in the world, despite not being known by most people but he coaches a lot of the people that people would know so he only works in person people fly from all around the world as far as australia and japan and london and new york and miami um, and myself in la to his home in phoenix arizona um, for a two-hour session turn around and fly home and he takes uh, payment for 100 hours up front it's two hundred thousand dollars and um you pay in full and, and you have your commitment and you have your time slot in the week and you go and you be with him. And the reason I've decided to invest a huge sum of money in working with him is because of his skills as a coach, yes, and what that can help me to see. But it's also because of who he is, how he shows up in the world, how powerful he is, how loving he is, those being my two primary drivers and values. Because as much as I am there to be coached to his skills, I'm there to to model and to emulate and to to figure out how he does life, how he sees himself and sees the world, how he approaches things. So um, it's kind of, there's both those purposes now when I'm hiring a coach.
1: What's the biggest theme that is running through all the experiences you've had with coaches? I mean, is there one thing that you've taken from all of them they all have? Um, Is there something that keeps everybody in common within that whole world of coaching, mentoring? Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, they've all been a lot. They've been very different. So uh, the only thing that I would that comes to mind as an answer to that is a thing we I talked about right at the beginning with the glass ceiling. It's like every single one of them helps me to see aspects of myself or things that I'm doing or being that I couldn't see. That's the through line,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's yeah. that's the most valuable part. That's that's why it's worth investing in
1: mm-hmm. for me. And so the first one, the first person that I guess you, what you actually paid for, I'm, I'm sorry, I like, I like to be pretty transparent with the prices on some of these things for yeah, the audience go for to it. get some perspective, but the, so the first coach you ever hired cost you how much?
0: I don't even remember, but it probably was like four or $500 a month, and I probably paid for like six months up front. So I think it was like a few grand
1: okay is that is that kind of how it works when you're in this industry because my experience with the first guy that i reached out to was within the like the second paragraph he was asking how much i make and which brought like the hairs in the back of my neck to stand up immediately thinking he was like a charlatan however since then and, and and researching more about how this works it sounds like he was looking for more of like the pressure points within my financial um, portfolio on how to like pick a price to really get me to do what i needed to do to to get to where i wanted to go
0: yeah i have no idea what that guy's doing or how he's doing i don't even know what the standard is because i didn't go to coaching school i don't really follow any of the
1: rule books to kind of have my own thing thing going so but i mean amongst the mentors that you have hired you've obviously probably taken some of their strategies yeah they've been
0: they've been different yeah yeah but they've been different i mean like that that was one way of doing it that was like monthly payments um I have I had people where I've just bought a, a number of hours um, from them. I have uh, people where I've paid for a number of months of, of time with them. So it's it's worked. Yeah, I've, I've taken bits and pieces from everybody for sure. Got, it, got um, it. And it works all sorts of ways. I mean, I've found some great coaches that charge hundred dollars an hour. I've a guy named Clarence that I send people to all the time. It's just what he does. Hundred bucks for an hour, and you know, one one at a time and uh now you know and then and then all different ways where you pay up front for 2 years of coaching um so
1: yeah because as it models. stands right now for 96 hours i can get you for $100,000 <laughs> yeah which is awesome by the way and then you also yeah. have a new option as we talked about prior to the show which is um you call it your creative group is that what it is creators circle creators circle yeah i'm sorry about that Yeah, and that That's gives right. uh people um a a who can't afford the hundred thousand dollar price tag? A, a better opportunity. That's what eight thousand dollars a person.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so it's a way. It's essentially it's the same amount of time that I spend with the private client. So three two hour calls a month for a year, um, but shared with a group of twelve people. And this wasn't an, actually an outgrowth of my decision to stop doing groups. I was doing six person groups for a while, and 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 I felt like stretched because i was trying to coach all six people in the same way that i coached a one-to-one client but in you know one-sixth of the time so i was having these two-hour calls where i was coaching everybody for 20 minutes each and it felt pressured i was like you know what i'm just not going to do these groups anymore i just want to do the one-to-one so i stopped but then i had a client in one of my groups that was like john i think the thing you're missing or jp i think the thing you're missing is that just being on the call is really valuable and so you should think about doing groups, maybe even bigger groups, because people that want to work with you one, might want to work with you one-to-one if they can experience your work first. And that really sat with me. And so I, I started playing with the idea of like, well, what if I did a bigger group? And so that's where the idea for Creator Circle came. And, and, the, and, the, and the orientation of the group is that like everybody in it is committed to creating their own value through being present and putting themselves mentally putting themselves in the seat of the person being coached. So if you're not being coached on a call directly, you're still going to come, and you're going to bring your questions, and you're going to bring the things that you'd want to, if you were being coached by me today, and you're going to listen to the conversation that I'm having with the other person with the commitment that that conversation will create for me the insight that I need in my life. And so even if I'm talking to Jane about her relationship and and you know, Ewan is listening for something about his business, he will get the thing he needs about his business through me speaking with Jane about her relationship. Um it's an example of one of the principles that I like, really use. It's like our commitment to what we're going to get is actually the thing that generates it um, for as far as insight and in our mind goes. And so that premise is what the beginning of the, of the idea of the group was about. And it's, you know, I'm in my second group now, and it's like just awesome. It really has worked really well, and people are blown away by the value they're getting. I'm excited for the opportunity to be able to work with more people than I've been able to work with uh, for a long time because I can – now we're you we know the fee being lower, more people can access it, and um, and we do great work together. And there's a really awesome energy with that number of people as well, especially people who are all on a, a similar internal path. There are different 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 stuff outside, but on the inside it's the same.
1: Now, do you give like weekly homework to people, so saying you have to achieve this by next next phone call?
0: So I don't give it to everybody, but the people that I'm coaching, we typically generate some kind of exercise or action. For them to take their insight out into the world to do something with, whether that be an exercise for them to do about themselves at home, or some challenge that they're out, you know, making stuff happen out in the world. Um, and so, the people who are not being coached in that call, they have the uh, option to take that on themselves. So, but everything's really voluntary. I'm not checking up on people, um, but I'm offering, always offering stuff for people to do and coming up with ideas. And that the stuff is all sourced from stuff that I've done myself, um, which I spend an incredible amount of time <laughs> doing because I love
1: it. Yeah. No. How many people do you think, or how many people are you coaching right now presently? Total.
0: Um, probably around twenty.
1: Okay. Yeah. Do you only take on a certain number of people per year?
0: Well, I have a number of slots, so I've got um, eight coaching slots. And so um, I can take on that many at a time, but some of those coaching slots are for the groups now. So it used to be that I would have maximum eight clients, but when, if a group takes up one of those slots, and that becomes you know more. So right now I've got a full group of 12, I've got a few private clients, and I've got uh, another group of 12 that's, that's uh, almost full. So um, potentially I'll have four groups at some point and four private clients because I'm really loving – this is an evolution of my business – to have these groups but i'm having a lot of fun with it so i can see myself having four private clients and four groups of 12 in the near future Mm. running
1: in parallel cool man that's really cool and you're in london right now yeah with your your wife and children i am yeah i just have one little boy and my wife yeah that's cool and and but you reside in la um do you still travel a lot not
0: as much since we had the baby um you know, I say that, but compared to some people, I guess we probably do. We go to Australia once a year. We come to London um, once a year. Out to Boston to see my family. Our family is spread out: Australia, Boston, London. Like so, we spend a lot of time visiting family, and we'll go away like maybe once or twice. We went to Hawaii recently, and we go away for our anniversary every year. So
1: remind me, do asking a bit how you met your wife.
0: No, oh, I'd love to share. Yeah, um, she was. She was an optometrist, but also doing some part-time intimacy coaching on the side, and she and I were introduced through an internet marketer that we both kind of knew for a short time, and um, we st- actually started off, before we were dating, we were running workshops for guys together. I mentioned that earlier, and uh, as we started this business called The Magnetic Man, we were doing these little like talks and workshops where we were kind of role-playing you know, a guy flirting with a girl and... Um, Slowly, slowly, we started to get to know each other in a deeper level. I mean, she was a beautiful woman, but she wasn't really my type on the surface based on who I dated in the past. But having these deep conversations about relationships and stuff, we started to realize that we had like – well, I started to realize that she's really kind of similar to me deep down in the kind of values level and I just fell for her. And uh, we started dating secretly while running this business and uh, it was really funny. I'm smiling because it's just like we would be flirting and the guys would be like, you guys – really like doing this is this for real i'd be like no yeah, we're role-playing and then they'd leave and we'd be making out or whatever so
1: oh that's yeah. cool man that's a cool story um you know for the audience listening right now who are ready to make that change ready to make that plunge you know what kind of advice could you impart on us before we part ways that could really maybe set that fire underneath their feet and get them to what take fire first step
0: the first step for what? What are you talking about?
1: The first step for them who's listening, saying, like, you know, I've, I have this goal in mind. I'd like to mm-hmm. achieve it. I don't know where to start. Um, what What? What could we maybe impart and tell them to or inspire them with right now before we mm. sign off? Mm, I don't know where to start. <clears throat> that's okay. You can take a No, no, no.
0: No, no, no. That's not... I'm just... That's not... Me it's not me not knowing where to start. It's you. You are saying they don't know where to start. So I'm just kind of feeling into what that's when I'm. I'm just repeating that to feel like when people are saying that. I'm taking my time with it because I don't usually think that's the the issue. Um, what is the issue? Uh, it's fear. It's fear, and I think that being honest with yourself about what's really between you and taking action is way more powerful than just staying with the I don't know where to start. It's like you know if somebody fell and they got hurt somebody fell off a motorcycle and there was like chaos and they were bleeding and like you need to call 911 but you need to help them it's like there's so many things to do it's like you're not going to sit there and be like i just don't know where to start Mm -hmm. it's like well because there's the you're just going to do something and so i think that i don't know where to start is a distraction which starts distracting yourself so if somebody's in that place and they feel like they just don't know where to start i think what they need to do is get more honest with themselves sit down with a pen and write the sentence. Deep down, if I'm really honest, the truth is I'm afraid that dot dot dot. And make a list. Just get get honest with yourself about what's going on. And if you have trouble even doing that, then you know have a conversation with a coach. Have a conversation with somebody who can help you see the things that you're afraid of that you're not seeing. You know, being able to see them, witness them, acknowledge them, that is the path. You know, you talked about. We talked today about like being becoming more aware and more mindful. The reason that's the foundation for everything for me is that's what gives you the ability to see the things that you're afraid of, which then gives you the choice to change them. G.I. Joe, remember that G.I. Joe cartoon when you were a kid? Yep. Did you see that? Yeah, you know at the end after they blew a bunch of people up, like, a soldier would like walk an old lady across the street, and they would be like, you've got to help old people, kids, and now you know. Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> and that, that, that. So that thing, knowing is half the battle, like, that's the first half. We have to know. We have to be mindful. We have to know what's going on on the inside, what's really going on. And so, um, if somebody's you know doesn't know where to start, then I would say slow down, don't start, get clear on what's really going on for you, and then then we'll know what to do next.
1: That's beautifully said, my friend. Before we sign off, you talked about a um, self-cultivation book or audio that you I, could maybe help yeah, I have an audio. To.
0: Is. Yeah, I'm happy. If anybody reaches out to me and just by email, jp at jpmorganjr.com, jpmorganjr.com, um, just you know, to let me know you've heard the podcast and mentioned the self-cultivation audio. It's essentially a 90-minute webinar I did at the request of my clients where I just share literally what I do every morning, um, including my meditation, what my current practices are, what I'm studying, how I study, um, and how I use that to kind of change change myself and grow myself on a daily basis. Happy to share that.
1: Perfect. Um, you'll be getting an email from me promptly after we cool. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, JP. So you can check JP out at JP Morgan Creating or his YouTube channel, JP Morgan Jr. YouTube. And uh, thank you, brother, for taking the time. We appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Much love.
1: Thank you for joining me for this episode. I mean, gosh, JP, you can really feel his energy and the way he speaks. If you watch his YouTube videos, you can really just see he's cultivated a presence. He's really worked on his craft, his being. His life pursuit, his his ability to be a student of life. You know, I I really feel like I'm lucky enough to now have him in mind, and hopefully, him and I can work on a few things that will help me continue to grow and get to where I want to go. Because I'm always striving and and searching and seeking and wanting to be the best person I can be to my loved ones, to my friends, to anybody I encounter on the street and then also to cultivate a business that I'm proud of and I can profit from which is you know what I'm doing now trying to be a digital nomad and and location independent from work so I'm really happy that he's come into my life and I hope that this episode has inspired you to maybe take that next step and and go out and and seek what you want out of life as well so until next time I think you all are so very beautiful Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it... It's the perfect one for you and I'll see you next time.